0: Chapter twenty three of a red wallflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox dot org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. A Red Wallflower by Susan Warner. Chapter twenty three. A debate. The two who were left sat still for a few moments without speaking mrs dallas once again made that gesture of her hand across her brow you need not disturb yourself wife said her husband presently young men must have a turn of being fools once in a way it is not much in pitt's way but however it seems his turn has come there are worse types of the disorder i would rather have this puritan scruple to deal with than some other things the religious craze passes off easier than a fancy for drinking or gambling It is hot while it lasts, but it is easier to cure. But Pitt is so persistent. In other things. You will see it will not be so with this. He's very persistent, repeated the mother. He always did stick to anything he once resolved upon. He has not resolved upon this yet. Distraction is the best thing, not talk. Where is Betty Frere? I thought she was coming. She is coming. She will be here in a few days. I cannot imagine what has set Pitt upon this strange way of thinking. He has got hold of some Methodist or some other dreadful person. But where? It couldn't be at Oxford, and I am certain it was never in Uncle Strand's house. Where could it be? Methodism began at Oxford, my dear. It is one mercy that the Gainsboroughs are gone. Yes, said her husband. That was well done. Does he know? I have never told him. He will be asking about them directly.' Say as little as you can, and get Betty Frere here. Pitt, meanwhile, had gone to his old room, his work-room, the scene of many a pleasant hour, and where those aforetime lessons to Esther Gainsborough had been given. He stood and looked about him, all with severe order and emptiness, telling that the master had been away. His treasures were safe packed up, under lock and key, or stowed away upon covered shelves. There was no pleasant litter on tables or floor, a learn to work or play was that old life of work and play which mixed and mingled light-hearted and sweet gone for ever pitt stood in the middle of the floor looking about him gathering up many a broken thread of association and then obeying an impulse which had been on him all the morning he turned caught up his hat and went out he loitered down the village street it was mid-morning now the summer sun beating down on the white space and making every big tree shadow grateful great overarching elms sometimes an oak or a maple ranged along in straight course in near neighborhood making the village look green and bowery and giving the impression of an easy-going thrift and habit of pleasant conditions which perhaps was not untrue to the character of the people the capital order in which everything was kept confirmed the impression pitt however was not thinking of this "'though he noticed it. "'The village was familiar to him from his childhood "'and looked just as it had always done, "'only that the elms and maples "'had grown a little more bowery with every year. "'He walked along, not thinking of that, "'nor seeing the roses and syringa blossoms "'which gave him a sweet breath out of some of the gardens. "'He was not in a hurry. "'He was going back in mind to that "'which furnished the real answer to his mother's wondering query. whence Pitt could have got his new ideas?' it was nobody at oxford or in london either conventicle nor discourse but a girl's letter he went on and on thinking of it and of the writer what would she say to his disclosures which his father and mother could do nothing with would she be in condition to give him the help he knew he must not expect from them she a girl who did not know the world yet she was the goal of Pitt's present thoughts and her house the point his footsteps were seeking slowly and thoughtfully. He was not in a hurry. Indeed, he was too absorbedly busy with his own cogitations and questions to give full place to the thought of Esther and the visit he was about to make. Besides, it was not as in the old time. He had no image before him now of a forlorn, lonely child awaiting his coming as the flowers looked for the sun. Things were rather turned about. He thought of Esther as the one in the sunlight, and himself as in need of illumination. He thought of her as needing no comfort that he could give. He half hoped to find the way to peace through her leading. But yes, she would be glad to see him. She would not have forgotten him, nor lost her old affection for her old playfellow, though the entire cessation of letters from either her or her father had certainly been inexplicable. Probably it might be explained by some crankiness of the colonel. Esther would certainly be glad to see him, he quickened his steps to reach the house he hardly knew it when he came to it the aspect of things was so different from what he remembered truly it had been always a quiet house with never a rush of company or a crowd of voices but there had been life, and now pitt stood still at the little gate and looked with a sudden blank of disappointment there could be nobody there the house was shut up and dead not a window was open not a door In the little front garden, the flowers had grown up wild and were struggling with weeds. The grass of the lawn at the side was rank and unmown. The honeysuckle vines in places were hanging loose and uncared for, waving in the wind in a way that said eloquently, Nobody is here. There was not much wind that summer day, just enough to move the honeysuckle sprays. Pitt stood and looked and queried, then yielding to some unconscious impulse, he went in through the neglected flowers to the deserted veranda and spent a quarter of an hour entwining and securing the loose vines. He was thinking hard all the time. This was the place where he remembered sitting with Esther that day when she asked help of him about getting comfort. He remembered it well. He recalled the girl's subdued manner and the sorrowful craving in the large, beautiful eyes. Now Esther had found what she sought and to-day he was nearly as unable to understand her as he had been to help her then. He fastened up the honeysuckles, and then he went and sat down on the step of the veranda, and took Esther's letter out of his breast pocket, and read it over. He had read it many times. He did not comprehend it, but this he comprehended, that to her at least there was something in religion more heartfelt than a form, and more satisfying than a profession. To her, it was a reality. The letter had set him thinking, and he had been thinking ever since. He had come here this morning, hoping that in talking with her she might perhaps give him some more light, and now she had disappeared. Strange that his mother should not have told him. What could be the explanation of the sudden disappearance? Disaster or death it could not be, for that she certainly would have told him. Sitting there and musing over many things, his own great question ever and again. He heard a mower wetting his scythe somewhere in the neighborhood. Pitt set about searching for the unseen laborer and presently saw the man, who was cutting the grass in an adjoining field, dismissing thought for action. In two minutes he had sprung over the fence and was beside the man, but the mower did not intermit long sweeps of his scythe until he heard Pitt's civil, Good morning. Then he stopped, straightened himself up, and looked at his visitor, looked him all over. "'Good morning,' he replied. "'Guess you're the young squire, ain't ye? "'If Pitt's appearance had been less supremely neat and faultless, "'I think the honest worker would have offered his hand. "'But the white linen summer suit, the polished boots, the delicate gloves, "'were too much of a contrast with his own dusty and rough exterior. "'It was no feeling of inferiority, be it well understood,' that moved him to this bit of self-denial, only a self-respecting feeling of fitness. He himself would not have wanted to touch a dusty hand with those gloves on his own, but he spoke his welcome. "'Glad to see you home, squaw. When did you come?' "'Last night, thank you. Whom am I talking to? I have been so long away I have forgotten my friends. I guess there's nobody hain't forgotten you, you'll find.' said the man wiping his scythe blade with a wisp of grass needlessly for he had just wetted it but it gave him an opportunity to look at the figure beside him more than i deserve said Pitt. but i seem not to find some of my old friends do you know where is the family that used to live here gone away i guess i see they have gone away but where have they gone don't know no more than the dead said the man beginning to mow again You know who I am speaking of, Colonel Gainsborough. I know. He's gone. That's all I can tell ye. Who takes care of the place? The place? If you mean the house, nobody takes care of it. I guess there ain't nobody in it. The land has as good care as it ever had. The squire. He sees to that. My father. Do you mean? Who else? It belongs to the squire now, and he takes good care o' oh, all he sees to. He bought it, you know, when the cunnel went away, said the man, stopping work and resting on his side to look at Pitt again. He'd a let it, I guess, if he could. But you see, there ain't nobody that wants it. The folks in Seaforth all has their own houses and don't want nobody else's. There is folks, they say, as it would like to live in two houses to once, if they could manage it. But I never heard of no one that could. Do you know at all why the colonel went away? Ain't an idea. Never knowed him particular, you see, and so never hear you tell. The colonel he weren't a sociable man by no means, and kept himself mostly shut up. I think it's a man's loss. But there's different opinions, I suppose, on that punt, as on every other. Folks do say the colonel warn't never to hum in Seaford? "'Anyway, he ain't now.' "'With which utterance he went to mowing again, "'and Pitt, after a courteous good day, left him. "'Where could they be gone? "'And why should they have gone? "'And how was it that his mother, in her many letters, "'had never said a word about it? "'Nay, had let him go out this very morning "'to look for what she knew he would not find? "'And his father had bought the ground? "'There was something here to be inquired into.' Meanwhile, for the present, he must do his thinking without Esther. He walked on and on, slowly, under the shade of the great trees, along the empty grassy street. He had plucked one or two shoots from the honeysuckles, long shoots full of sweetness, and as he went on and thought, they seemed to put in a word now and then, a word of reminder, not distinct nor logical, but with a blended meaning of Esther and sweetness and truth not her sweetness and truth, but that which she testified to, and which an inner voice in Pitt's heart kept declaring to be genuine, that lured him and beckoned him one way, and the other way sounded voices as if of a thousand sirens, pleasure, pride, distinction, dominion, applause, achievement, power, and ease, various forms of them, various colors, started up before his mind's eye, vaguely discerned as to individual form, but every one of them, like the picadors in a bullfight, shaking its little banner of distraction and allurement. Pitt felt the confusion of them, and at the same time was more than vaguely conscious on the other side of a certain steady white light which attracted towards another goal. He walked on in meditative musing, slowly and carelessly, not knowing where he was going nor what he passed on the way till he had walked far and then he suddenly stopped turned and set out to go back the road he had come but now with a quick measured steady footfall which gave no indication of a vacillating mind or a laboured question he went into the breakfast-room when he got home which was also the common sitting-room and where he found as he expected his mother alone she looked anxious which was not a usual thing with mrs dallas pitt my dear out all this time are you not very hot i do not know mother i think not i have not thought about the heat i believe he had kept the honeysuckle sprays in his hand all this while and he now went forward to stick them in the huge jar which occupied the fireplace and which was full of green branches turning when he had done this he did not draw up a chair but threw himself down upon the rug at his mother's feet so that he could lay back his head upon her knees presently he put up his two hands behind him and found her hands which he gently drew down and laid on each side of his head holding them there in caressing fashion caresses were never the order of the day in this family rarely exchanged even between mother and son who yet were devoted faithfully to each other the action moved mrs dallas greatly she bent down over him and kissed her son's brow and then loosening one of her hands thrust it fondly among the thick brown wavy locks of hair that were such a pride to her she admired him unqualifiedly with that blissful delight in him which a good mother gives to her son if his bodily and mental properties will any anyway allow of it mrs dallas's pride in this son had always been satisfied and unalloyed All the more now was the chagrin she felt at the first jar to dissatisfaction. Her face showed both feelings, the pride and the trouble, but for a time she kept silence. She was burning to discuss further with him, the subject of the morning, devoured with restless curiosity as to how it could ever have got such a lodgment in Pitt's mind. At the same time, she did not know how to touch it, and was afraid of touching it wrong. Her husband's counsel... Not to talk, she did not indeed forget, but Mrs. Dallas had her own views of things, and did not always take her husband's advice. She was not minded to follow it now, but she was uncertain how best to begin. Pitt was busy with his own thoughts. "'I have invited somebody to come and make your holiday pass pleasantly,' Mrs. Dallas said at last, beginning far away from the burden of her thoughts. "'Somebody? Whom?' Asked Pitt a little eagerly, but without changing his attitude. "'Miss Betty Frere. "'Who is she that she should put her hand on my holiday? "'I do not want any hands but yours, mother. "'How often I have wanted them! "'But Miss Frere will make your time pass more pleasantly, my boy. "'Miss Frere is one of the most admired women "'who have appeared in Washington this year. "'She is a sort of cousin of your father's, too. "'Distant, but enough to make a connection.' You will see for yourself what she is. Where did you find her out? In Washington last winter. And she is coming? She said she would come. I asked her to come and help me make the time pass pleasantly for you. Which means that I must help you make the time pass pleasantly for her. That will be easy. I don't know, and you do not know. When is she coming?' "'In a few days I expect her. "'Young, of course. "'Well, mother, I really do not want anybody but you, "'but we'll do the best we can. "'She is handsome and quick and has excellent manners. "'She would have made a good match last winter at once "'if she had not been poor. "'Are men such cads as that on this side of the water, too? "'Cads, my dear? "'I call that being cads, don't you?' My boy, everybody cannot afford to marry a poor wife. Anybody that has two hands can-or a head. It brings trouble, Pitt. Does not the other thing bring trouble? It would with me. If I knew a woman had married me for money, or if I knew I had married her for money, there would be no peace in my house. Mrs. Dallas laughed a little. You will have no need to do the latter thing, she said. "'Mother, nobody has any need to do it. "'You, at any rate, can please yourself. "'Only—' "'Only what?' said Pitt, now laughing in his turn, "'and twisting his head round to look up into her face. "'Go on, mother. "'I am sure your father would never object to a girl because she was poor, "'if you liked her. "'But there are other things—' "'Well, what other things?' "'Pitt—' A woman has great influence over her husband, if he loves her, and that you will be sure to do to any woman whom you make your wife. I should not like to have you marry out of your own church. Pitt's head went round, and he laughed again. In good time, he said. I assure you, mother, you are in no danger yet. I thought this morning, said his mother, hesitating, I was afraid from what you said that some methodist or some other dissenter might have got hold of you pitt was silent the word struck him and jarred a little was his mother not grazing the truth and a vague notion rose in his mind without actually taking shape which just now he had not time to attend to but which cast a shadow like a young cloud he was silent and his mother after a little pause went on "'Methodists and dissenters are not much in Mr. Strahan's way, I am sure, "'and you would hardly be troubled by them at Oxford. "'How was it, Pitt? "'Where did you get these new notions? "'Do they sound like the Mother?' "'I do not know what they sound like. "'Not like you. "'I want to know what they mean, and how you came by them.' "'He did not immediately answer.' i have been thinking on this subject a good while he said slowly a good while you know mr strahan is a great antiquary and very full of knowledge about london he has taken pleasure in going about with me and instructing me and he is capital company but at last i learned enough to go by myself sometimes without him and i used to ramble about through the places where he had taken me to review and examine and ponder things at my leisure I grew very fond of London. It is like an immense illustrated book of history. One day I was wandering in one of the busy parts of the city, and turned aside out of the roar and the bustle into a little chapel, lying close to the roar but separate from it. I had been there before, and knew there were some fine marbles in the place, one especially that I wanted to see again. I was alone that day, and could take my time, and I went in it is a tomb of some old dignitary who lived several centuries ago i do not know what he was in life but in death as this effigy represents him it is something beautiful to look upon i forget at this minute the name of the sculptor his work i shall never forget it is wonderfully fine the gravity and the sweetness and the ineffable repose of the figure are beyond praise i stood looking studying thinking I cannot tell for how long, or rather feeling than thinking, at the moment. When I left the chapel and came out again into the glare and the rush and the confusion, then I began to think, mother. I went off to another quiet place, by the bank of the river, and sat down and thought. I can hardly tell you how. The image of that infinite repose I carried with me, and the rush of human life filled the streets I had just come through behind me, and I looked at the contrast of things. There, for ages already, that quiet. Here, for a day or two, this driving and struggling. Even suppose it be successful struggling. What does it amount to? It amounts to a good deal while you live, said Mrs. Dallas. And after? And after, too. A man's name, if he has struggled successfully, is held in remembrance, in honor. What is that to him after he is gone? My dear, you would not advocate a lazy life, a life without effort? No, mother. The question is, what shall the effort be for? Mrs. Dallas was in the greatest perplexity how to carry on this conversation. She looked down on the figure before her. It was still sitting at her feet holding her two hands on either side of his head and she could admire at her leisure the well-knit energetic frame every line of which showed power and life and every motion of which indicated also the life and vigor of the spirit moving it he was the very man to fight the battle of life with distinguished success she had looked forward to his doing it counted upon it built her pride upon it what did he mean now was all that power and energy and ability to be thrown away? Would he decline to fill the place in the world which she had hoped to see him fill, and which he could so well fill? Young people do have foolish fancies, and they pass over, but a fancy of this sort, just at Pitt's age, might be fatal. She was glad it was herself, and not his father who was his confidant, for Pitt, she well knew, "'was one neither to be bullied nor cajoled. "'But what should she say to him?' "'My dear, I think it is duty,' she ventured at last. "'Everybody must be put here to do something.' "'What is he put here to do, Mama?' "'That is the very question.' "'Pitt was not excited. "'He showed no heat. "'He spoke in the quiet, calm tones "'of a person long familiar with the thoughts "'to which he gave utterance. "'Indeed,' "'alarmingly suggested that he had made up his mind about them. "'Pitt, why do you not speak to a clergyman? "'He could set you right better than I can.' "'I have, Mamma. "'To what clergyman?' "'To Dr. Calcott of Oxford, "'and to Dr. Plumpton, "'the rector of the church to which Uncle Strahan goes.' "'What did they say?' "'Dr. Calcott said I had been studying too hard "'and wanted a little distraction.' He thought I was morbid, and warned me against possible listening to Methodists, said I was a good fellow, only it was a mistake to try to be too good. The consequence would be a breakdown. Whether physical or moral, he did not say. I was left to apprehend both. That is very much as I think myself, only not the fear of breakdowns. I see no signs of that in you, my boy. What did the other doctor—whom did you say? What did he tell you? dr plumpton he said he did not understand what i would be at i agree with him too said mrs dallas laughing a little. pitt did not laugh i quoted some words to him out of the bible and he said he did not know what they meant i should think he ought to know so i thought but he said it was for the church to decide what they meant mrs dallas was greatly at a loss and growing more and more uneasy Pitt went on in such a quiet, meditative way, not asking help of her, and, she fancied, not intending to ask it of anybody. Suddenly, however, he lifted his head and turned himself far enough round to enable him to look in her face. "'Mother,' said he, "'what do you think those words mean in one of the Psalms? Thou hast made me exceeding glad with thy countenance.' "'Are they in the Psalms?' "'I do not know.' You have read them a thousand times. In the Psalter translation, the wording is a little different, but it comes to the same thing. I never knew what they meant, my boy. There are a great many things in the Bible that we cannot understand. But is this one of them? Exceeding glad? With thy countenance? David knew what he meant. The psalmist was inspired. Of course he understood a great many things which we do not. We ought to understand some things that he did not, I should think, but this is a bit of personal experience, not abstruse teaching. David was exceeding glad, and what made him glad, that I want to know. Pitt's thoughts were busy with the innocent letter he had once received, in which a young and unlearned girl had given precisely the same testimony as the inspired royal singer. Precisely the same and surely what Esther had found another could find, and he might find. But while he was musing, Mrs. Dallas grew more and more uneasy. She knew better than to try the force of persuasion upon her son. It would not avail, and Mrs. Dallas was a proud woman, too proud to ask what would not be granted, or to resist forcefully what she might not resist successfully. She never withstood her husband's plans, or asked him to change them, except in cases when she knew her opposition could be made effective, so it did not at all follow that she was pleased where she made no effort to hinder. It was the same in the case of her son, though rarely proved until now. In the consciousness of her want of power, she was tempted to be a little vexed. "'My dear,' she said, "'what you say sounds to me very like Methodist talk. "'They say the Methodists are spreading dreadfully.' Pitt was silent and then made a departure. How often I have wanted just a touch of these hands he said, giving those he held a little squeeze. Mother, there is nothing in all the world like them. End of chapter twenty three. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen. Gilbert, Arizona.